Chapter 10 of Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Arthur Piantadosi. From that time on, Chris and Amos were inseparable, with the exception of those times when Chris studied alone with Mr. Wicker. Amos, during those hours, soon endeavored himself to Becky Boozer, to whom he became invaluable for he took over those chores Chris had overtaken as his share. These consisted of carrying water, peeling potatoes, or watching the roasting meat in case it should burn. For Chris had less and less times for such jobs, and Amos's laughter and wailing happy nature soon made Becky spoil him as much as she did Chris. Another cot was put into Chris's room, and night after night they would hang out the two mansard windows, watching what went on below until it was too dark to see. Or else they would talk by the light of their candle until they fell asleep. Chris now knew how lonely he had been until he set Amos free with from his wooden shroud. But warned by Mr. Wicker, he did not tell his new friend that he came from another year as yet unreached by the time they lived in. It is not for a while, cautioned Mr. Wicker, that Amos get used to being limber and alive. As he's changing off from the carved wooden finger, it would only confuse and trouble him to think you do not really belong where you are. So let him be happy and I shall see your lips in regard to the secret of the jewel tree, for that must be known to no one. And so saying, he rubbed his salver of Chris's lips. Now tell me what you are to journey after, commanded Mr. Wicker. But when Chris attempted to talk of the jewel tree, the words would not pass his lips, but remained in his mouth like a handful of marbles. Good, said Mr. Wicker, rubbing his hands. Not even to me. Excellent stuff, this. He added, turning the dining case to contain the salves and his fingers. I got it in India years ago, and this is the last of it, but I hardly imagine I shall need it again. It's used as something more drastic, but occasionally wise. Mr. Wicker, said, said thoughtfully one afternoon after his lessons and memorizing were over for the day, of the three things in their shop window I liked best, two have been explained, yet the third which still interests me, seems to have had, so far, no significance. I mean, of course, the rope. Ah, yes, Mr. Wicker agreed, nodding and stretching his feet up towards the fire. The rope. Very well, my boy. This has just come into your mind again. That means that the time has come for you to discover its use. Go and bring it to me. Chris ran to get the coiled rope. He experienced almost a shock when he touched it. It looks harsh and coarse to the touch of rough hemp fiber, but on picking it up, the coils in his hand seemed almost silky. Certainly they were more than usually pliable. Returning to the study, the boy put the grope beside Mr. Wicker's chair. The magician did not move, his feet still stretched comfortably towards the flames. His dark, handsome face was dreamy and remote, and Chris wondered in what faraway place or time his creature moved. The apprentice sat down, cross-legged with his back to the fire, and presently Mr. Wicker took his gaze from the sparks and smoke to look thoughtfully at him. You've heard of the Indian rope trick, Christopher? Yes, and no, sir, Chris replied. I'm not sure how it works. Mr. Wicker gave him a chuckle. <laughs> Indeed. Well, let me tell you, my boy, no international stars either. The rope is made to go into the air, so swiftly that the fakir, that is, the eastern magician, can climb it. Some claim to have seen the fakirs climb up it and vanish from sight, and the rope disappear after them. Mr. Wicker waved one hand as much as say that those who had seen it could believe as they pleased. 
A good enough trick in its way, consented Mr. Wickham. But this rope is capable of so much more remarkable possibilities as to throw the Indian rope trick completely in the shade. With one of his quick gestures, Mr. Wicker waves down for the rope and was out and out of this chair for all in one movement. You shall learn, last of your lessons, a new way of losing a lasso. Not lassoing. Mr. Wicker held up a finger to stress this point. That too shall learn, but how to use this particular rope to make the most of its, shall we say, qualities. Mr. Wicker smiled a sardonic smile through his eyes, which were snapping as brightly as a fire. Now, Christopher, he began, running the rope through his long, fine hands, just push that table into the chairs to the wall. That is a good lad, and we shall get the sniftest out of this rope. Chris cleared the room. Pull the curtains, my boy, added his master, for one never knows but that Amos or Becky Boozer might pass by at the crucial moment. That you not know, muttered the magician, is best for them. When the room was safely arranged and candles had been lit, Chris returned to stand by the fireplace beside his master, who was turning the rope lightly in his fingers. Now, Christopher, your attention please, said the magician, and his tone was crisp and authoritative. Imagine that you are in need of a boat, and there is no boat. With several twists of his hands, the rope spun out into the middle air of the room. It moved and twisted like a live thing, and Mr. Wicker, Chris thought, seemed to be drawing the outline of a boat in the air with a moving line. Even as he, this thought flickered in his mind, the rope formed in midair the skeleton of a dinghy. And then, mysteriously, the rope added to itself until the bare struts and sides were filled in and there. Rocking lightly from the speed of its creation, a small rowboat hovered in the air as if it were tied up to a dock. Go and feel of it, Christopher, Mr. Burgerge. Climb into it if you like. I have left the two ends of the rope long enough to make oars, if necessary. Chris ran over and felt the sides of the boat. It was sound and secure, no doubt of that. He went all around it, pounding its sides, and at last heaved himself over to fall into its center. The boat never stirred, and stamped as he would, the rope bottom and gunwales resisted firmly. Gee, Mr. Wicker, exclaimed, this is the best yet, except for Amos. Golly, Moses! And as he sat down and took up the two loose ends of rope still remaining, he found that he held not rope ends but two oars. Even oars! Chris cried in delight. Mr. Wicker stood with his hands behind his back, that fire out outlining his black clothes and neat dark head. Yes, he said in a matter-of-fact voice. Quite so. Now climb out and I will show you some of the other shapes of which it is capable. A ladder, Mr. Wicker remarked as Chris rejoined him. It's almost too simple. We can do that at any time. Grasping the end of one oar, with movements too fast for Chris's eye to follow, in an instant the rope boat was a rope again, coiled over Mr. Wicker's arm. Now, said Mr. Wicker, and his eyes twirled with mischief. The rope flew out again, but this time it took a strange outline. The outline of an elephant. It will have to be a small elephant, murmured Mr. Wicker, his hands flying, because of the size of the room. The elephant, like the boat, took shape, the final ends of the rope hanging down at its tusk and tail. After the elephant came a horse, an eagle, and a dolphin, and Chris's admiration and zest to learn the secrets of the rope grew with every change of shape. Very well, ended Mr. Wicker. You shall learn. And placing his hands over Chris's while the boys held the rope, he began slowly to show him the magic twists and turns. 
Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson, Chapter 11, End.